ready to roll? Ready to scroll? Okay, we're back. No more, no more PP for me. Yeah, dude. Put something in there. You know those re refillable pencils, mechanical pencils? No, go on. You know how you, like, mechanical pencils, where you, like, press the button and then the little thing comes out, and then you can pretend that it's, like, a needle that you're putting in your Aren't arm? Aren't all pencils mechanical? Do you really not know what I'm talking about, or is this just, like, you're jerking my chain? Are you talking about, like, is it, like, a, is it one where you twist, or one where you, like, push the it's button? It's one where you press the thing on the yeah, bottom, I, I and then, don't like, know. a little I don't thing, know what you're a little twig. About. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Hey, so this week, <laughs> we watched uh, a couple great, well, we watched a great movie, and then a movie. Um, <laughs> I picked... <laughs> I, hey, I can't, I can't hey, wait. Hey, which one? Which one? I guess um, we're going to find out. So uh, I picked uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, 1968 film. It's directed by Sergio Leone. It is written by Sergio Donati and Sergio Leone, who's the director. Dude, what are the odds that two Sergios work on a movie? In Italy? Think? Pretty high. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it wasn't in Italy, though. It was in Hollywood. I think, um, isn't that why they call them spaghetti westerns, though, is that they shoot a lot of it in Italy. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't shoot this in Italy, though. They shot it in, um... New Mexico, Arizona? I'd yeah, imagine. I think Arizona and New Mexico, and then also in the studios in, um, Burbank, yeah. I think. Um, so watch the credits, you know, just to, just to figure it out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, summary for this that IMDb puts is, let me make sure they didn't spoil it, like fucking Amazon. Yeah, that works. A mysterious stranger with a harmonica joins forces with a notorious desperado to protect a beautiful widow from a ruthless assassin working for the railroad. Short and sweet. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Tyler, what did you pick? I picked Blade Runner, which is directed by Ridley Scott. It was made in 1982. Uh, it is a sci-fi dystopian movie. Uh, IMDb claims that it is about a Blade Runner who must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. Amazon claims Rick Deckard prowls the steel and microchip jungle of 21st century Los Angeles, stalking genetically made criminal replicants. Yeah, basically the, the plot of that is that there are these artificial humans called replicants and they're made illegal because they're deemed dangerous. And uh, Harrison Ford plays this thing called a Blade Runner, which is like a violent PI that hunts them down and kills them once he identifies them. It was written by Hampton Fancher, David Webb Peoples as David Peoples. <laughs> and, um... Philip K. Dick wrote the novel that this is based on, which is, I think is called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is such a cool title. I fucking yeah, love I like that, that a lot. title. It made me want to read the book yeah, just because of the title. That is such a sick title. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Also a little bit written by Rutger Hauer, who plays the main antagonist because he drastically edited the his like final speech the night before shooting that scene, which is a cool little bit of trivia. That Interesting. I, I like that little bit of trivia. Yeah. I would love to talk about like the different cuts of this movie too, because I saw a video explaining the differences and like it's oh sure yeah it's, well, it's definitely it's funny. We're gonna be trying a new structure this week, guys. So bear with us. We're working out the kinks. As in a structure. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make it a little quicker, you know, better paced, less ums and like <laughs> we hope. So anyway, yeah, we'll start off with fun facts. But yeah, um, first impressions. I'm gonna do mine of Blade Runner. Okay. I thought visually it was awesome, like so sick, incredibly innovative, clearly um, so influential to so many sci-fi movies. Yeah. Crazy, just crazy for the time. It looked incredible. Yeah. 
It looks absolutely incredible. Everything, like from the lighting to everything. <laughs> the lighting's the main thing I can think yeah, of. Yeah, the lighting is no, absolutely like, incredible. But like like the mise-en-scene, just everything is in, like the, the way that they, I assume, combine miniatures with sets looks so crazy. It's like seamless. Yeah. It's so fantastic. Yeah. It reminded me. It reminded, I think uh, we're going to say the same thing. So you go because it's you. Maybe not. It reminded me of Metropolis. Yeah. I was going to say this. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. cool. Metropolis is literally seamless too. That's even more impressive because I was fucking 1930, right? Uh-huh. That movie's crazy. But yeah, no, absolutely. It was like that, but it was way more involved, you know? Um, the sets are crazy. It, it just looks in- absolutely incredible. I love, I love the color grading as well. Um, every, like, every shot had a, had a, color theme to it Mm -hmm. and even even like different parts of different shots would have color themes um and i thought that was really cool um in terms of the story was there really a story it just kind of it felt super meandery and like things just happened it was just super anticlimactic and it seemed like harrison ford's character was just kind of like wandering around until he happened on these things and then it was over and yeah so I didn't really give oh. a shit about any of the story or the script was just kind of boring too, for the most part. But visually, I thought it was an absolute treat. What do you think, Tyler? Uh, I I thought it was fantastic pretty much on all fronts, honestly. Um, I think I could see why some people might not like the script. I think it, it it's a little... Um, I could see maybe it's it coming off as like a little um, flowery, I guess, or like a little... A little depending on the character... I, I mean, I, I thought it was honestly fantastic. Uh-huh. I really liked it. I thought that um, Rector Howard's character, like, juxtaposed against Decker's character and that Decker's, like, always saying, like, one-word responses or, like, like one-syllable responses pretty pretty often. Yeah. And then, like, Rector Howard's character, um, who is this, like, infinitely younger and, like, supposedly less experienced um, being is, like, speaking, like, uh, like, Shakespearean all the time and, like, very, really witty and, like, really... I, I thought that there was a really way to uh, an interesting like dynamic to have inside the script in terms of dialogue. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see that there are definitely very clear character voices. I guess it was mostly just that the plot didn't do anything for me. I didn't think the dialogue was particularly bad or anything. Yeah. It just was kind of mediocre to me. The only the only part I didn't really like was at the end when his police chauffeur says like too bad she won't live but whoever who really does i thought that was kind of like yeah why did you have to say that because that part i thought was so effective um i really enjoyed it uh but i i what part the climax well finish your finish your general impressions yeah visually it, it might be one of like my favorite movies honestly yeah it was really cool especially because like i'm you know we're both huge fans of akira and like that kind of look Mm. and just like seeing there's a there's a backdrop that this has um uh, it's shown a couple times it really stuck in my mind because the what i assume is probably a matte painting for this one scene i think it's what like a taxi pulls up or like decker's police car pulls up to something and it's just like a city shot, but it looks exactly like the background in Akira. Oh shit! I didn't even notice that. It's it's That's cool. so and like. When did Akira come out? Akira the manga um, came out. It started, I think, getting made in eighty. I think the first issue came out in eighty two, and then the movie got made okay. in eighty nine. I think the last issue came out in eighty seven. Probably took inspiration from Blade Runner. Then I, I, I it has to. I think. I mean, it, yeah. it looks. So similar. I mean, that is not a dig at Akira because I fucking love that movie. Oh, no. I mean, dude, I, there's so many tributes to yeah. Metropolis, for example. There's a million movies that have yeah. exact shot, like yeah. exact replicas. Like one of the Batman replicants. movies. 
Um, ooh. Like the Wayne Tower. Is it Wayne Tower? Whatever. There's a tower, and it's just one of the buildings from Akira. Metropolis. Oh, from Metropolis? From yeah. Akira? <laughs> Batman. Okay, sorry. This is really long-winded. This is still my first impressions. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really liked it. I honestly thought it was, like, I thought it was honestly fantastic. Cool. Um, so why don't you then, even though you just fucking talked for, like, five straight minutes. I'll keep filibustering. What is, um, <laughs> yeah, for real. Um... What did you think of Once Upon a Time in the West? Also loved it. I thought it was really great. I was worried. Um, I've seen other Westerns that are really long, and some of them are fantastic, like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And some of them I, I didn't like as much because it can feel meandering when it's like closing in on that three-hour mark. But like this never really felt like nothing was going on. Yeah. And, uh, something that really astounded me the whole time I was watching it was that like there's really actually not that many scenes in this movie for a three hour yeah. movie. A lot of yeah. the scenes are. Each scene goes super. Sorry. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt. It, yeah. It, it, like, uh, but yeah, as you were just about to say, like each scene is, is really lengthy, but like feels very full. And it is so there's really not even that much dialogue. Like there's just, mm. there's more towards the end, but like in a lot of parts, especially in the beginning, like there's just so little said, especially in the first, in the first 10 minutes, Dude. like we'll nothing. get there we'll get there we'll get there it's just so, so good it's though. so, good. so I, good and like some of the the <laughs> and, and the score is like amazing it's absolutely fantastic i love ennio morricone which i know is not so good a, an unpopular opinion but like holy shit like he just died recently yeah that bums me out yeah thanks a lot dude but <laughs> anyway yeah i i loved it i love both the movies this week it was a great week nice yeah dude i i thought once upon a time in the west was so excellent i loved it so much so fucking good did you know that this is the same this is like his follow-up to the good and bad and the ugly no i didn't know that yeah same director after good the bad and the ugly he said he was done making westerns and then he made this movie um because <laughs> he was like all right i gotta make another one why not i actually haven't seen that movie um good the good the bad and the it's ugly really good I would that, say. I mean, after watching this, I was like, uh, I really want to watch that because yeah. it was so, yeah, so fucking good. It, um, yeah, yeah. Sh- should we? You want to just start on Once Upon a Time? No, well, I haven't finished my impressions yet. Okay, sorry. I just yeah. said I, I, I heard, liked it a lot. I heard a pause. After you talked for like fifteen minutes. Hey, man, I heard a pause. I thought you were being succinct with it. I jumped. I don't want to criticize you or anything, Tyler. I don't want to make you self-conscious. I believe you. Anyway, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought every single part of that movie pretty much was great. And yeah, what you were saying, it's almost three hours, but it goes by not even quickly because you do feel how slow pace it is, but it's always moving forward in some way. And it's so dynamic in terms of cinematography and in terms of every scene. And there's so much tension. And um, I think the slow pace makes it more compelling in a lot of ways because you'll have, and we'll, we'll get into more detail, but very quiet scenes with very subtle sound effects in the background that create this sense of tension that overwhelms the whole scene and just adds this whole, and the music, like all the time there was something cool going on. So even when it was super slow, it felt compelling and I was always invested because they always gave you something, even if it was something small, just something to keep the pace going. Um, I liked, it was a really really simple concept done extremely well. It wasn't too lofty, but what it did, it did so well. And did in a way that even beyond, I think what it had to do to make it excellent, it just went above and beyond. Very creative cinematography, just very original shots. It's pretty rare to watch a movie and 
think often, oh, I've never seen that kind of shot before, you know, like a really mm-hmm. interesting ideas. Um, I thought the performances were great. I thought the script was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I agree. Hey guys, we're back. It's Talkie Talk. Um, my file stopped recording, so I don't know where it cut off, but um, let's just- We'll fix it in just, post. Yeah, well, I'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. My spirit will be there, like Ben it's Kenobi. It's true. Because it's actually Ben Kenobi. Well, Obi-Wan. I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, I, why do they do that? Why do they overcomplicate <laughs> things? Oh, I am Ben, but also Obi-Wan. So I- I am he. <laughs> Yes, I knew your father. <laughs> Have you seen? I was your father. One, this is this is gonna be like too abstract for our viewers, but but like one of my favorite memes is this fucking. Yeah, they're not smart enough. No, just because I'm gonna do a terrible job like explaining it and linking to the conversation. But oh good, there's this there's one of my favorite memes is like this green text from 4chan, which is just like that speech from or not speech, but it's like the line from Ben Kenobi in Episode Four when he says like uh-huh. I knew your father, he was a great man or something like that. And instead of saying that, it's like I knew your father, and then they just list like Anakin's atrocities throughout the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so funny that's pretty funny it always gets me but yeah i don't think anakin's I... actually the good guy when you think about it <laughs> he has the greatest arc <laughs> he, so funny he killed a million guys but he killed one bad guy which means it's fine <laughs> just like zuko greatest character of all time <laughs> first he was evil you, but now he's not evil you didn't greatest finish... arc of oh, all for fuck's time sake. that is so dude i saw the fucking you didn't want you stopped like halfway through season two what are you talking about <laughs> he's like already a fucking good guy quote unquote why because he saves ang that one time yeah okay so you're telling me that he's not gonna just join them at some point obviously like, he fucking does obviously yeah but that's not the point it's the journey of how he gets to there that's the meat of the arc and you didn't see maybe that. this is evil maybe <laughs> We shouldn't kill people. He's like 14 or like 15. And take over the world. And he's like indoctrinated by his, by his father. Dude, not to make fun of people with disabilities, but I don't like lisps. <laughs> lisps? The voice actor has a really serious lisp and I don't like it. It's got an interesting way of delivering things. But... I'm Prince Thuko. <laughs> yeah, all right, buddy. Anyway. Anyway. Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner. All right, so let's get into our discussion of Blade Runner. So guys, we have a new structure for you or a structure for the first time we're gonna go through a few categories go down the list um talk about them for like i don't know an hour each right tyler well you'll do like 45 (laughs) minutes i'll do 15 yeah something like that not really guys please stay so the four categories we have right now are cinematography script slash story acting performances and the sound design and music so blade runner let's start with the cinematography uh it was sick yeah, it's I think, I mean, we both said this a bunch, already. but there's just so good. Yeah. One thing I really liked, um, I said this before, it's the only thing I could think of, but the lighting, I loved how dynamic the lighting was. It was always shifting and moving yeah. in different ways. And especially, that must have been so insane to set up. I'm thinking of the scenes where they'd be in inside somewhere and there'd be the car lights coming through the blinds. And you would see the headlights go through the blinds and the shadows would shift. And it was so cool. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much of that swinging lights or flickering lights. It's always changing and shifting. You don't typically see that stuff and it really stood out. It was really, it was so, um, they did it so well and so deliberately. Yeah. 
it's impossible I think, not to notice. I think also what's interesting is that not only do you not always see that in movies, but you don't see it so consistently either. It's really right. Every right. scene has some kind of incredibly dynamic lighting where I don't know what the budget was for this. I should find out for our fans, for our good old a trillion. I, I don't know, because if it isn't that big, it, it is astounding that they were able to do some of the things that they did. There's just so many lights to keep track of, and so many so many scenes on the street where there's a bunch of people bustling around, too. And Oh, yeah. And for some of those scenes with the hustling and bustling crowds, they go handheld and they get right in there with them, which, which does make yeah. it easier a little bit um, for, like, budgetary constraints, but there's still so much lighting when they go handheld and they don't even go handheld every time they show a scene like that. It is really. Oh yeah. There's such huge crowds. Astonishing. This thing. I didn't even think of that, but you're right. There are just so many moving parts to this. It must've been so, they must've done scenes many, many times to get them because there's so many moving parts. You have people, you have vehicles, you have lights. Yeah. You have the actual camera movements. Yeah. It's. And. There's just so much. The miniatures. And like the tracking, so many tracking shots too, like in crowds, mm. which must have been so tough. It's it's seriously astounding. And I feel like... Yeah, very impressive. I didn't think about this till halfway through the movie, maybe because I'm just an idiot. But I, when <laughs> I, I... Oftentimes when I see when something comes out, I see like the decade it comes out, especially with movies. And I don't think about the exact year. But like eight, yeah. 82 is is basically the 70s. And thinking of a movie like this coming out in the 70s or like or, or just in the early 80s is insane. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. oftentimes when I think of like 80s movies, I think, you know, I, I think Terminator and Terminator 2 came out like way later. I think all yeah. that stuff that really nailed those practical effects came out later. And Blade Runner, like 82 is just so early for something that looks so crisp yeah. and so... Yeah, it's, it really, I feel like, set the standard in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's so, I mean, I definitely see why this movie was so influential and how it was so influential. It's a very, like I said about the script and, and the story, it didn't really do it for me, but it's, it's not that I don't like this movie because it looks incredible. And what it did is so impressive from a visual standpoint mm. and just from a filmmaking standpoint, generally, it's there's so much going on and it's done super well. It never looks cheap or even fake, really. It just looks legit. Yeah. You got this huge futuristic city that's like falling apart and it's put together so well. Every part of it is is thought of it. The world building especially is so good in this. Yeah, what I really like about the world building is that it is told so much through the ambiance and what is just on screen as opposed yeah. to any, there's almost no dialogue that tells you. The mise-en-scene as you would call it. Mise-en-scene um, as, you know, some, some, some Frenchmen would call it. Uh, Val Valancourt, I'll just say that. But um, a lot of the world, you, you just get the sense of the world through seeing it. There's no dialogue that really tells you in this year, the Tyrell Corporation was established and did this, this and this and tandem yeah. something corp. And it's just. Well, there's a little in the beginning. I mean, there's an opening crawl, but. <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't even mind that. It tells you the I didn't stuff that it. is all you need to know. specific to the story yeah. that unfolds, but it doesn't tell you anything about the actual world you're in besides the fact that Tyrell made the replicants. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, I agree. It's it's so incredible how you really just understand what this world is. Honestly, in that first shot coming in over the skyline with the fire erupting out of the oh uh, yeah out of the chimneys, it's so oh, yeah. incredible. It's it's yeah. really fantastic. Um, it's this really um, it's this like post-industrial future, which is really cool. I think it's so fun that it takes place in 2019 too. 
Yeah, it's, it's cute. It's cute. And uh, I think Akira takes place in 2020 or maybe also takes place in 2019. I think it was 2019. Might be, yeah. yeah. I love stuff like that. Like, I love uh, the same thing. With... Oh, shit. Hold on. I got I to gotta show you something. Okay. We'll describe it. Nate is showing this me little steel book, a Akira steel book. Oh my gosh. It's the poster, but on a steel thing. Uh, so sick. It doesn't look like the movie came in. It looks like it's just a, a piece, a big piece of steel plastic. Don't lie to them. The movie's in it. It's, it's like 3D too. It, like the, like, like a Tetsu, like stands out. No, no, no. Like physically 3D. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like the motorcycle and, and um, yeah. I'm psyched for Love this movie. Akira's awesome. Go watch it. Um, yeah. It's just... You'll like it, um, you know? I it's did. a movie I'd recommend to probably anybody. Yeah, it was a little subject for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah. What was I going to say? Yeah, cinematography-wise, it's just incredible, and especially lighting-wise, it's just really, really fantastic. It never doesn't look fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, what you're saying, it is super consistent. There's nothing that feels just functional in terms of the lighting, especially. It always feels like they went just above and beyond. Yeah. In terms of shot composition, I feel like that's where it became more functional, but it, it looks so, everything they have on screen looks so incredible that it, you can just, you can do that. I, I don't even, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't even, yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, a lot of shots come to mind to me that feel like way more than functional though like when when decker comes into the um the doll maker's house and she's sitting there in that bridal veil uh the replicant yeah. and he wanders through that room and there's that laughing doll everything's moving a little bit oh yeah it's so so fantastic yeah you're right you're right i feel like there's a lot of shots like that where i just the the scene where he's giving rachel the test and she's smoking and just like the the, the light even i mean that is a functional shot and that it's really just a close-up or a medium close-up really on her face and it's still yeah. it's just fantastic it looks so good right i mean yeah no you're right when i say functional i'm not I don't mean that really as in, uh, as a dig at it. Mm -hmm. I feel like Once Upon a Time in the West felt like it went above and beyond with shot composition where it's stuff you haven't really seen before and really interesting, especially symbolically some really cool shots. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, simple techniques are often all you need. Um, and I think it used simple techniques well. You know, I, I, like, I didn't feel like there was anything groundbreaking like I did feel like there was in Once Upon a Time in the West. But it was... It used simple techniques well, and that's that's fine. Like it's and it was good. Like it, it used it very well. Are you, so you're say. you're talking strictly cinematography, though, right? Shot composition, okay. yeah. Because yeah, I mean, in terms of like mise en scène and and stuff oh, like that, yeah, like, insane. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. All of that was groundbreaking. But I mean, just in terms of the way that the shots were composed um, and the shot variety. I but again, it's not big. It's just so. it didn't feel like it went. I just I feel like in comparison to Once Upon a Time in the West. There's just so much more going on in that in terms I don't of shot even, composition. I don't even know. I think, but there wasn't much that really was that really felt. There wasn't. There weren't many shots where I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, like watching The Graduate. It's like every single shot, you're like, "Oh shit!" I yeah, I guess so. I think when I the most moments I felt the "Oh shit!" in Blade Runner in terms of composition were usually the establishing shots. Like when Decker was drinking, leaning out yeah, his apartment, fair. and you get that Metropolis-like view. Or, yeah. or actually, one another one that I really, really enjoyed was when he's having this final fight with um, Rucker Howard's character, and they're on the roof, and there's just those swinging windmills that are like closing in on the frame. They're kind of like cutting through oh, the frame. Yeah. I thought that looked fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, there's yeah, they did some some cool stuff. You're right. I mean, I I I hundred percent see your argument. I think it's very easy to argue 
either one of these has the leg up on the other, but I, I think a lot of well, it... no, mine has the leg up. Okay, but <laughs> sure, but I, I think you're. <laughs> I, I I really you're do just think, there. I think that Blade Runner, you know, is not doing the same things that Once Upon a Time in the West is doing, especially just the genres that they are, but also the environment that it's that movie lives in. Blade Runner is such a more claustrophobic and um and ups like dark upsetting and, yeah. and grimy movie um and i think yeah yeah it's it's i i don't know i it's also so hard to compare shot composition when some of the best composed shots in one of the movies you're arguing about is mostly miniatures and and um non-actors and non still moving yeah. parts but more edited moving parts it's a really hard you're right comparison. it's it's no you are right i think yeah, it's just a different approach. It's it's more about mm. this bigger world and you almost want to have less like really like smaller precise shots because you want to just look at this whole crazy place. Mm. So I think you're right. It's it, it's different circumstances. It's a different approach to filmmaking um in general. Yeah, I, I want a quick uh, footnote. I this I yeah. I think Once Upon a Time in the West was absolutely amazing in terms of shot composition. I don't want to I don't yeah. want to make it feel like I'm like completely backing Blade Runner against the that. Um, yeah, and I don't want to feel like I'm saying uh, Blade Runner isn't good in that regard. It just it is different. Yeah, I think I think what um, Once Upon a Time in the West does is more my thing. But also, I loved the visuals in this too. It's just different, I guess. It's just different. Shall we move on to the next topic? Um. Yeah. Oh, I actually wanted to ask. I don't know if this would be a good time for your fun facts about the different versions. Is it mostly visual stuff? So. Between two versions, it is. What is interesting is that when I texted you earlier when we were discussing this, um, we were talking about the different cuts, and you said do final cut. And what I had heard from a lot of people was that the final cut has this like gross green tint on it that ruins the movie. Um, mm -hmm. After watching it and watching some comparison scenes, I think it actually adds a lot to it and isn't that overbearing. I I, no. I really like the color grading in the final cut. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you <laughs> said that because when I was watching it, some scenes did have a green tint to it, but I my thought was, yeah, this is just color grading. Yeah, yeah. And so, it was great. Like, <laughs> Every scene had different color grading yeah. and it worked together. It's, well. it's like New Vegas is orange and it totally works. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, right. Um, but like you can do that. But what's interesting and what I think is like I feel so bad about, I feel so bad for Ridley Scott, is that so the final cut is the one that he had full creative control over, as you know. Um yeah. And that came out in 2007. So his final like piece, this movie didn't really like come into true fruition until 25 years after it was made, which is insane. Yeah, uh, poor that's Ridley crazy. Scott. Uh, go over, go over the the what editions there right. are. Those so the final the cut is the one that he had total creative control over. That came out in 2007. The director's cut was released in 92. Um, okay. Ten years later, it is not a director's cut because Ridley Scott didn't get to have uh, the same influence. He didn't get to have yeah. final say. He didn't have get to have final cut, Ooh. as it were. Ooh. And so they had to call the next version final cut. So fucked. But anyway, that, Ridiculous. that has, I think it's it's almost the same movie saved for the color grading, I'm pretty sure. And some added um, gore, I think, was cut out in it. Interesting. The okay. theatrical... Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. So for the director's cut, you're saying that there was more color grading and no, more gore? Final cut. Sorry. Yeah, that was confusing. Final cut. Yeah. had more gore and green color grading, um, which okay. I thought... Well, not just green, though, because there was different Yeah, there ones. were different color gradings, but uh, uh, the, the scenes that is most noticeable... The scenes, when I researched this before I watched it, that's what everyone said, was it's so green, it's so green, and it's just like, there's uh -huh. a lot of different ways... 
Yeah, that's so many different colors. Oversimplifying, oversimplifying it, but um, yeah, the theatrical release is the most interesting one in that not only did it cut quite a few scenes out, it cut out the all the gore, it cut out the unicorn flashback that Decker has, um, which kind of does come oh, out yeah. of nowhere, but does I didn't really get that does have some significance later, I, I think. But we'll get to that in the plot. But we will. The most blatant difference is that in the theatrical release, the the producers or the production company, I think, which was Warner Brothers, made Ridley Scott make a voiceover narration for Decker to give at different points in the movie. Oh, and and it is so funny. Rumor has it that nobody wanted to do it, and Harrison Ford specifically purposely flubbed a lot of his lines and like made it bad so that the, so that they wouldn't use it and Warner Brothers still used it. Wow. <laughs> oh, and it also had a different ending. Dude, good for Harrison Ford. Yeah. Because I Come honestly on. like this movie more now, like this cut of it at least, because dude, voiceovers fucking suck <laughs> most of the time. And I'm really glad that they didn't, yeah. <laughs> that in this final cut version, there was no voiceover. Total, totally whack. Absolutely insane. Because you absolutely didn't need it. Because not only is it that ever, not only is it that it probably it doesn't add anything, but the fact that Harrison Ford specifically made it bad so they wouldn't use it, so and then Warner Brothers still used it and were happy with it is just absolutely astounding. Blows me. That away. is insane. Yeah, yeah. It just really shows you where where the fucking yeah studio influence not good. <laughs> um. Ever. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. There's something with Once Upon a Time too that we'll we'll talk about. Okay. Cool. Because um, I don't I don't know yeah. that. But real quick. Yeah. Um. I wanna. Would you mind stopping recording? I'm recording as well. All right. Cool. Um, where were so, we? We were. I think we Impossible should. To I, I think we should move on to uh, the next thing. All right. Because um, we're gonna be here forever. <laughs> cool. So let's um let's move on to the next category, which will be the script and story. Um. Like I said, I I didn't do much for me either of them, the script or the story. I felt like with the story. It just kind of meandered along. It didn't feel like um, Deckard had to do much. It seemed like he just kind of stumbled into, like, finding the first girl is just him sitting in front of a screen for five minutes going, enhance, zoom to A3, enhance, clarify, for like five minutes. It was, I thought it was funny at first, and then that was literally the whole, that's his whole investigation. And he just shows up and fucking kills her. And then... The, the ones he finds at the end, isn't he just like chilling in his car and he like hears a fucking police scanner be like murder at fucking this place. And he just goes. I think um, him finding the snake lady was fine with me. I think most of that, um, I do think that scene is kind of funny and long winded. But I also think that for that time, I think a lot of the entertainment from that scene might have come from like the, the idea of the computer being able to do that. Yeah, it was, it was um, funny. But yeah, looking back, I mean, that is something you see literally in CSI Miami. These days. Yeah, I was so. wondering. I was wondering if that is where that came from. The enhanced probably. thing. Yeah, zoom in enhance. Yeah. But I so one thing that made that scene not as grating for me was just I absolutely loved his collection of photos. I thought they were really fantastic. They reminded me of those photos that that I was telling you about the like places you've been in your dreams or something like that. Yeah. They felt very much like that. The way they they set up those photos to kind of look like 
um, dislocated memories, I feel felt really intentional. It felt so vaguely nostalgic, but kind of mm. unsettling at the same time. I don't know how intentional that was, but this movie does feel really intentional. So I feel like it likely was. Yeah, I I was watching it with my parents, and I remember when he got to the snake lady part. I was thinking, I was like, "How did we? How did we get here again?" He yeah. looked at the snake tattoo and then saw the. <laughs> was, okay, okay, I I kind of get it. Yeah, but, that, yeah, that was me trying to keep up with the plot of this movie the whole time. It's like, wait, I guess maybe. Yeah, okay. when I when I got it, I was fine with that. I yeah. thought the coincidence of just having the other replicant be on the street right where she gets shot <laughs> yeah. was kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, they to just be rush fair, after that that scene is like, all right, well, there's only two left. I'm like, wait, wait, since when? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, to be fair, the other guy tracks Decker down and finds him. Yeah, but but, right. but really, but the, fa- the fact that he's there to see that does feel a little like it was a. Forcing the plot to pace in, or to, to quicken with the pace. Pacing, I like pacing. it. Pacing. Oh, yeah, we're going to use that from New now on. New one. <laughs> pacing. So yeah, they, they were really up. like pacing the plot with that one. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, also the way the replicant girl meets um, Pris, I think is her name, the way that she meets Sebastian by just happening to fall asleep in his trash. Yeah. I don't know if that felt intentional, if she meant to be there, or if... She, I think she meant to be there because they talk um, to the eye guy and they ask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, she's okay. she like falls asleep there. And then yeah. there's like a shot of her, too, where she like gives a grin or something to the camera. <laughs> Winks. It, kind of. Almost. Um, honestly, Ryan Reynolds should have just played that part. Um, Ryan Reynolds plays everyone. Would have done a better job of um, being obnoxiously on the nose. Anyway, no, that, I mean, that, I think that instance was fine because I also was wondering, wait, is she actually just sleeping and then stumbles across this guy? But then she gives a little yeah. smirk to herself. I was like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So I think she was trying to be there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just sort of felt like things fell into place. It didn't feel like um, Deckard had to really work for much of it. That actually sat fine with me. Because mm-hmm. I felt as though it kind of filters into his whole thing where he's really just a slave, that his life isn't really decided by him for the most part, which I think is his whole, the, the whole stuff that, um, yeah, the philosophy that, that Rucker Howard's character gets into at the end is him basically just saying that, you know, it, it's it, his whole philosophy is that it matters more what he does with the time that he has as opposed to what someone like Decker does, which is just what he's told all the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess I, I at that point in the movie, I think because I kind of got that, but not as clearly as you just stated it. Because I don't know. I I think at that point in the movie, I was just sort of like, eh, okay. <laughs> I no, because not- there was nothing really like thematically anything up until like the last fifteen minutes, and then they kind of tried to make it really thematic, and so that. I, so I was just not really buying it, but I think a lot of stuff with with um. In the beginning and the end, I think. I think some of the stuff in the middle before you really get to meet Rucker Howers' character, which he really gets fleshed out in the climax because it's mostly where he is. Yeah. But, um, so maybe maybe have him be in more before that, though. Well, I think it works because in the beginning, he's kind of... I think it's stated that he's designed to be kind of a kill bot. Yeah. That's all he does kind of for the first like half of the movie. Yeah. Or first like three quarters. And then in the end, he kind of goes against that. But yeah, I that's true. Uh, I think in the beginning, there was a lot of really poignant stuff, especially with the memory test that they have them do. Or th- I really liked the test that they had that they ran the replicants through. 
mm-hmm. where they give them ethical questions and, and 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 I really felt like it played really well on on just the idea of the I don't know how much this is me making this up because it's like we're in the future that this was imagining but just the the idea of of deciding what is human based off a level of empathy that's measured on some strange test is really interesting. Yeah. The idea of empathy being like the main driver in this society that kind of has lost its empathy is really interesting. Yeah, I think that's fair. I yeah, honestly I think you you picked up on more than I did. I don't know if I just kind of stopped trying to think about it at a certain point, but no, I mean, but you, I, I think these points are valid, though. Like, I don't, Thank I don't you. feel like you're pulling this out of, uh, out of nowhere. Jokes on you, I am. <laughs> I kind of like it more in light of that. And there was something interesting that I picked up on, where it's trying to figure out this line between, okay, at what point do you stop being just a machine and do you start being a person? Because the replicants were they like Delta Alpha Six, whatever the fuck they were. They're like, yeah, something six. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but because the way that they treat the, um, robots that the, the guy who designed the replicants, like the replicant brains, the way that they treat the replicants treat those robots is just sort of as, oh, they're just like toys basically. But mm-hmm. they, you kind of see like they almost, they don't explore too much, but there are times mm-hmm. that you see the expressions on the robots faces yeah. and you think, okay, there's something, there's like emotion there's there. something there. Yeah. Yeah. And the replicants even who are androids as well, they're just a mo- more advanced type of android don't even think twice about them really Mm -hmm. yeah so i thought that was interesting that it is because that's something that the humans in that movie are having trouble doing is figuring out okay at what point are we just shutting off a robot and at what point are we killing a person yeah i i really thought it was a a, a, i really like the first replicant that he retires to being that like this this really like beautiful woman that he just shoots in the back twice as she's like running yeah, away from him just straight like, up executes it's it's so brutal and it's yeah. so cruel it's and it's really it's supposed to be the moment that is like kind of like the moment of triumph where like he starts like you know doing right. doing the right thing and it just feels so horrible and it's, yeah it's, it's so brutal up. yeah and they turn her over and you see the wounds and i i, I loved that scene yeah and especially the his reaction to the blood i thought was really mm-hmm. Cool. It wasn't mm. over the top, but you could tell looking at the blood was like, oh, this is yeah. fucked up. Yeah. 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 I thought that was, I, I thought it was great. Um, I, I do agree that I think it feels, I really enjoy the plot and the themes that it explores. And I think that by the end of it, I feel like it, I feel, especially with the climax, that it's very satisfying, but I do feel that the steps it takes to make sure the plot moves forward sequentially, yeah, like you're saying, do feel forced at times or yeah. do feel they feel like the thinnest part of the movie i agree with that yeah i mean i i just think so much of it uh thematically works for me especially with these uh, the like the idea of of you know what makes life important or what makes a life like well lived and the the whole idea of like being a slave to a system and stuff like that is is just really it's just so interesting it's so cool and i think the ending really the ending is just so great yeah, I, I like it a little more um, in light of, well, I don't know if I like it more, but I uh, respect what it was doing a little more, I think, after hearing your interpretation of that. I think by the time it got into the meat of the themes, I think the um, 
sort of forced progression of the plot made me lose faith a little bit in it. And mm-hmm. so I think I stopped thinking about it as hard. I could see that. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's where it came down, but yeah, I, I think I do respect it more in that, in light of that. I also thought that the way that they characterized Rucker Howard's character in that really like 15 minutes that he has on screen at the end was so great. I, I really thought, especially his acting came across really convincingly in that he's this thing that's kind of discovering these emotions and how to wield them as they're happening. And as he kind of knows, it's like the last time he's going to be feeling them. Yeah. Is like the way that he, like an animal, like plays around with Pris's corpse and like doesn't really know what to mm. do with it. It's like, it's really, it's just like an animal. Like animals do that all the time. Which yeah. <laughs> I like that too. I haven't watched too many videos of animals with dead animals, but I've seen a few. <laughs> There's one where I think, I forget, I think it's, it might be giraffes. It's some oh, like God. majestic creature. Oh, Christ. Who are just playing with like a dead cub or something like that. They're just like tossing it around. Oh, <laughs> I forget. I forget what it was, but they're just like playing catch with this fucking dead carcass. I, I was going a totally different direction with that. It might be elephants. <laughs> I think it's like elephants fucking batting around. Because elephants are the ones, too, that, like, mourn their dead and, like, bury them in, like, graveyards. And they're just tossing around, like, this fucking, <laughs> this fucking lion cub or something. There's, have you ever seen, there's this gorilla video where this, this gorilla walks up to this, like, other gorilla. I'm imagining the situation is that, like, he is the, is the new, like, dad. And yeah. this is some other dad's kid. And he just picks up this kid and just smashes it. Into the crowd. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, I was going the opposite direction with what I was talking about. Oh, okay. Because I feel like when when an animal like sees like another of its kind like die, it, it kind of like prods it and is like, what, yeah, like what is this? Like I don't get it. Right. Like and and like seeing him trying to like as a killbot like trying to understand the death of someone that he like really cares about. I thought he really nailed that. Yeah. Yeah, we're shifting. We're shifting into the performances and acting yeah, now. Sorry. It was a little no, no, no. But... I think I think we should get there. Um, cool. <laughs> I think it, yeah. it, now is the time. But yeah, I thought he was great. That whole ending sequence, I thought he really killed it. Just really weird and mo- like movie monster y, but also yeah, but also that's that's when he shows the most human emotions as well. I thought he played that. Great. Uh, that was mm. awesome. I thought, um, I forget her name, but the android that's like his girlfriend. I thought she did a really good job too. Of It's almost like a Harley Quinn yeah. sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, She's a little more sadistic. Yeah, but it, it, and a little more puppet-like as well. Mm. She played mm. that, like dressed up and then played that role in a way. Mm. So I like that. I think most uh, Harrison Ford was good. It wasn't anything crazy, but it, he did the role well. Yeah. I don't think it's one of his best roles or anything, but I think it was still good. I'm trying to think of any other standouts. What about for you? I think Rutger Howard definitely stole the show. Who's who's the bad guy? I don't know. I don't remember his real name. I, I think him and Pris steal the show. I think Harrison Ford is great. I think he also like didn't get given as dynamic material. Yeah, I mean the script the script was was um sparse. For him, I feel like. Yeah. I really liked uh, the actress for Rachel, especially her like movements and how she was framed in a lot of this, the time. Like the way that she moves, there's two occasions where she moves toward the camera that really feel uncanny. Yeah. The the way that she kind of moves her body walking. It's, it's once when you first meet her and then also when she's walking in Decker's apartment 
and she is the way she like kind of moves her shoulders a little like back and forth while she walks is 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 really yeah creepy yeah and it worked really well for me um again in terms of her i feel like she did the job well but it wasn't a standout yeah um and then honestly i put this sound design slash music category in here because i really wanted to talk about um the sound design and music of once upon a time in the west but yeah. <laughs> what did you think i actually liked it in this too i really liked it had that classic neo-noir jazz in it which i loved but had like a little bit of spacey effects on it, which I thought mm. was really cool, but didn't just limit itself to the jazz either. Yeah. There was more like, I don't know, like harsher electronic stuff as well. Yeah. So I like that. I, you know, I mean, you got to have jazz in a <laughs> neo-noir <laughs> movie, but they used you it do. tastefully, which I appreciated. Yeah. I, um, I, I really liked the soundtrack in this. Um, I think I, I liked the soundtrack in Once Upon a Time in the West a little better. Um, oh yeah. But I thought this was like honestly fantastic. And I'm actually, this is no meme. I'm a huge fan of Vaporwave like good vaporwave oh yeah and you could totally tell this is where that came from there's there's an album i really love called birth of a new day that there's so many moments in this in this soundtrack that i felt felt exactly like they could be off that album so if anybody likes the soundtrack to this movie um but there were some moments that i felt like it was so weird that worked very well with some strange not operatic but high female voice yeah. soundtrack stuff that I thought was really interesting. Another thing that is interesting between the cuts is that I know one of the cuts does not use the soundtrack at all. It uses a completely different soundtrack. Oh, wow. And apparently the theatrical release actually had scenes from other movies in it. Wait, what? I, I, apparently it had shots from other movies in it. Like what other movies? Someone said The Shining. Someone said that it used footage from The Shining. I'm going to Google That can't it. be right. I, I don't know, dude. What? I don't think there's one shot in The Shining that could have even worked in this movie. So I think it might be in the end sequence that is not included in the final cut because it sucks. Uh-huh. Um, but it yes, it is. Okay. So in the extended in the in the, this points for Tyler. Tyler gets a gold star. Yeah, no, I mean I like this um, outside <laughs> research, bro. It it was what I was thinking though. The Shining. It's the opening of The Shining with the helicopter shots. But they use it in the end because the original ending of this that the producers forced on the movie was that he like drives to the countryside with Rachel. And it's like, you know, I think we're going to be all right. Wow. <laughs> Dude, fuck studios. Can you imagine? Just across the board. I can't and I will never watch. I'm glad we watched this version. I can tell you yeah, right now. Too. They probably oh, would have yeah. fucking hated the original. Yeah, yeah, really. As soon as the voiceover started, just like, Christ. Yeah, I would have turned it off. Um, but yeah, I liked the soundtrack. Yeah. In this. It, it was not super standout, but I think also if you... I think if I had watched more movies from this distinct time period, I think this probably would stand out more in that... It, yeah. I, I, I doubt there was so. a lot like this. I think so. But yeah. Final thoughts? Favorite shot, maybe? Favorite shot, favorite scene? Favorite shot? Um, Man, I mean, you know it's about me, but I'm a sucker for light coming in through the blinds. So pretty much any scene where a moving light was coming through the blinds <laughs> and there was smoke in the air. Great. I was happy. Very happy and content. Favorite scene? Um, Honestly, I just like the big city scenes where he's just like fucking flying in the, uh, in the space taxi. Yeah. Just the big open scenes, I think, were my favorite. I, I would say favorite shot is probably either the part where he walks into the room where Pris is hiding as a doll. Mm. Technically, it's favorite shot, but there's like all the moving parts. There's that other doll that's moving very rhythmically that I think was also played by a real person. 
yeah to really I think throw so. you off yeah um there's that tiny laughing man it's just so good oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, I i can't get over it it's so yeah. i love stuff like that just really unnerving uncanny stuff yeah either either that or i really like when he's first walking up to that apartment and it shows the blimp hovering over the skylight and shooting lights down into mm. the skylight and it's that woman's face like looking down and like smoking very just, cool it, yeah it, it's so I like that cool. a lot i love the recurring motif of a, that zeppelin that hovers over and is always telling you something yeah it's, yeah it's dude, so i didn't cool. notice that either i think i just turned my brain off but... <laughs> yeah i'll <laughs> definitely be watching it. yes i'll be watching both these movies again yeah 100%. oh yeah nate what the heck did you think dude seven out of ten okay i would give it an eight and a half I really wow. liked it. Cool. I really enjoyed it. It besides the plot points that I brought up and a couple editing things, I, I just really enjoyed the experience. I watched it with both my parents, and my mom hates violent stuff. Oh, really? And that makes and sense by the end me. of it, she was so into it. That's it was awesome. so funny. It was great. I, I really such an enjoyable movie. I love so, that. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. So let's move on to Once Upon a Time in the West. Man, just, I just gotta say again, this movie was just a straight up delight to watch. Just an absolute treat start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess let's start with cinematography. Um, yeah, where to start? Shit looks amazing. <laughs> just nonstop. I, I, <laughs> just so good the whole time. Yeah, it looks great. It's It always looks great. It, it It's really, I mean, goddamn. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so much going on and, and I like that it's... I feel like it's really a testament to the cinematography and how it's presented that it's so long. Yeah. It's like two hours and 40 something minutes and it, yeah. every single second really feels like it's filled with something. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about it too. Especially when you consider the ratio of length of the movie to amount of dialogue or amount of the movie that is dialogue. Oh yeah. There's so much that's just, that's just you know, ambience and movement and sometimes not even movement. <laughs> It's yeah. just the shot. Yeah. I loved that approach so much. I mean, I guess that's more the script side of things, but it was just less is more. And just really let the actors' performances and the way things were framed and the sounds in the background really convey the emotion. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good. There was just so much going on. I loved the huge wide shots, reincorporating this theme of this like being so small in this really broad world where they'll just give you breaks where it's like, look, they're just in a fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it just looks gorgeous. Yeah. It just looks absolutely gorgeous. So you have huge sprawling shots like that down to really specific tight shots. Like there's one I really loved where they're in the bar and Cheyenne comes in and you see it's it's framed where Cheyenne is approaching the bar and one of the people at the bar, like the bottom left corner of it is just his holster. Mm -hmm. And then Cheyenne is in like the third of the frame to the right. And you see his hand mm -hmm. just like slowly go to his holster. Then it cuts to Cheyenne, like spin and point his gun at him. And it really like yeah. the editing of that too really drives it home. Yeah. But it's such it's such a precisely frame shot where it's like, okay, you have just his gun and you have just Cheyenne, and there's like a distance between them, and Cheyenne can like still pick up on it. Yeah. So it's just really, really tight storytelling in terms of how observant Cheyenne is. And it gives you that feeling of that's what Cheyenne is looking out for, is just the gun. Like it's all he's paying attention to is the sound of the gun. Mm. And you see that just in the way that it's framed, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot that just is, you just get. It's just a film that has, like I said before, it's just, there's a language to it. Yeah. And you just get it immediately. 
yeah, just like how movies should be. Yeah, and, and what's really interesting is that there's even though it has a really tangible language that you get in the first minute, there's so many occasions that I feel that the cinematography just keeps building on itself and getting better. Oh yeah, getting better all the time. It's always it never it never falls back on like the same thing. It's always doing something different. Yeah, yeah. It's, the one that really comes to mind is the um, how they film the the reveal of how the harmonica man knows frank dude and <laughs> it is okay. so funny i'm gonna talk about this more when we get into plot because i don't want to yeah get into it but now, dude but... i just want to say that that last scene the whole last sequence it was one of those moments that just hit me yeah so hard so because it's all building to that yeah. and i literally dude i got goosebumps like my hair was standing on like straight up for that whole scene I was yeah, just like, yeah. I had chills and my fucking hair was like sticking straight yeah, up. Yeah. Just it's, so. And what's, what's great is that the buildup before that flashback is like two minutes of them not doing anything but walking and looking at each other. Yep. And it's fire. Oh, that's when, it's, when they started walking and the music came in where it's When he there. enters the frame. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and they're, dude, their two themes start playing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's I when my fucking yeah. hair stood yep. up and didn't go down for the next like 10 minutes yeah that shit was sick yeah I, just yeah and it's so simple Fuck. too it is just them walking but again the way that it's framed and yeah uh it's the sounds it's so, and the music especially dude it's so good yeah it's, we'll get it's there so, but again like everything it's tough to isolate this movie into categories almost i was just gonna say it's the same working thing. in tandem the whole time yeah, yeah especially that part yeah but i i love Going back to trying to um, shoehorn this just into cinematography, the the reveal of who the harmonica guy is when they do. I watched it like four times. Really, I was so yeah. I, I kept so rewinding. Good. Yeah, they they zoom out and then they um, crane back and up. So they like yeah. zoom first, then crane, yep. and it, it it gives so much. It's there's no words in that whole scene except for what Frank says, which is such a fucking fantastic line. Uh, when he's keep, keep your keep your loving brother happy or something like that. Yeah, so fucking here. Great. Let's let's for yeah. for those who haven't seen it and who won't watch it but watch it and don't don't just, listen to this podcast. Just skip just like the away. next. Yeah, honestly, just turn <laughs> it off now. <laughs> just turn it off if you haven't seen this movie. Just turn it off now. Yeah, basically the whole movie. There's this mysterious um character who's playing a harmonica. I think his character is just credited as the man. As the man, yeah. which is awesome. Great. Um, <laughs> he he does that in a couple of his movies, actually. Yeah, it's just because what fucking great. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, so the whole movie, you know that he has something against Frank, but Frank doesn't know what it is, and we don't know what it is. And there's this shot that recurs, which I fucking love. Every time that they have a face-to-face -face confrontation, you have a slight flashback to Frank walking into frame. So good. And it starts with a completely blurred out figure and you don't know who it is. And the second time, it's you see it's starting to form Frank's features. But in that second shot, just because it's blurred, just because the focus is so narrow, his features looked like really twisted and demonic to me. It like looked like he had like mm -hmm. a almost like a fucking Joker smile when he was walking in <laughs> before it came into full focus, um, which was really fucking cool to me. But then, yeah, he in the last scene, he comes into focus when they're having their standoff. And um, yeah, it starts on Hamarika's man's face as a child and slowly zooms out until you see his full body and you just see two boots on top of his head. And then, as you said, it pans up and you see his brother with a noose around his neck 
on his shoulders. And that's when Frank sticks the harmonica in his mouth and says, keep your loving brother happy. And so good, man. He actually says it before the cut to who the harmonica man is too. He, he says it, then he hands it out. Yeah. And then they right. cut to who he is. It's just like, fuck. Yeah. And it's, you know, what's so funny What is that before it's not so funny, but yeah. What, what, <laughs> so that, what, what was interesting was like before that happened and while they were just setting up for the duel, I was like, this better be a sick reveal. Cause if it's just like he killed like his family or something, like I'll, I'm going to be so disappointed. Cause like, it's so cliche. Right. And then, and then they revealed it and they did it so well. I was like, fuck. Yeah, dude. Cause the whole time you don't even know what his motivation is. Yeah. And honestly, it's not as if it's the most like quote unquote original motivation, like having a, someone be killed by this guy that you care about it's not crazy right. but just the reveal and the the way they set up that scene in terms of cinematography that scene is great with the zoom out and the in the crane up but then they also do that really i think probably experimental thing for the time where he it just shows like really quick shots of like everything they're looking at like they're taking him and his brother are like looking all around and it shows like a really quick shot of everything that happens and then yeah. and then it all just comes crashing down and, and i love dude they did a um they did like a crane shot very wide shot above like the arch that they were in and i love yeah. that just like you had the two his two cronies just leaning up against the sides of the arch mm. him in the middle with his brother with the noose around his neck and just the vast desert around them yeah so cool i love that shot yeah. so much it yeah. looks like a painting it's... but in a naturalistic way yeah i love stuff like yeah, that it was it was really just incredible <laughs> yeah that whole last sequence though man it makes it worth it because it just is all building to that because the whole time you're like what is this going to be it better be worth it because it's been right. two hours and 40 <laughs> right. minutes so far and it is <laughs> absolutely yeah. is yeah and a lot of why that scene is so impactful i mean there's a lot of every fucking moving part in that sequence this whole movie is why it's so good but yeah especially that shot and the reveal and it's i love how you see the boots before you see his brother because you come to the conclusion before they yeah. show you it's like yeah. it sinks in and it's so much more impactful that way because you're coming to it on your own yeah it's great yeah. it's a movie that like makes you learn yeah <laughs> it's great Fuck, man and a couple other shots specifically i want to um we could go all day but Two I have in mind. The first is the train station scene where um, uh, Jill, she comes to the, the train station for the first time and she walks into like the ticket booth and is talking to somebody. The camera's just looking through the window. And then as she exits, it lifts up and then reveals the whole town. Mm -hmm. And I just love that because it's just like they could have just cut between those two scenes, yeah. but they didn't have to. Yeah. They just made it one smooth transition to the next scene. They do they do that a lot too. Yeah. Where they will have like one scene end and then the camera moves instead of a cut happening. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I guess in terms of like train scenes, the whole first scene is absolutely like astounding, especially with the intro to the character. Dude. It was it was like twelve minutes long too, and I didn't care. I didn't. I loved it. Twelve minutes with like no dialogue. <laughs> it's crazy. And I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Yeah, you just have I, the I, three outlaws again. I'm trying to just sum it up for the audience, but the yeah. audience, someone's gonna fucking listen to this. But <laughs> <laughs> three outlaws come into a train station and very kind of quietly, without saying anything, take it over, like throw the ticket dude into the fucking closet, and it's just them basically like walking around for like Waiting. 10 minutes and it's so good <laughs> yeah it's so the good. way it's just framed is excellent i loved the whole sequence with the guy with the fucking fly on his lip yeah just like yeah. trying to just blow, trying to blow it. it away yeah yeah <laughs> like failing to 
And um, I love that we are with those three characters for 12 minutes and then the harmonica man comes in and just kills all three. And the, and the way, dude, his... <laughs> I love I love Western writing because it's just so punchy. Yes. It kind of like Chinatown, but less um per minute. But yeah, it is just like <laughs> when they're like, oh, looks we're looks like we're one horse short. And he just says, You brought two too many. <laughs> yeah. So good. So good. Uh, I love I thought of Chinatown so too. Great. Where it's really yeah. like you said, punchy in genre dialogue, but done so mm-hmm. cleverly that it doesn't I like that more almost a lot of the time than realistic dialogue. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. really smart, quippy dialogue. Yeah. Certain movies, obviously. If it works. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a genre thing a lot of the time, yeah. and I think it's a tone thing. But yeah, I mean, it's such an archetypal movie that it just it just works with how some people speak. And and it's I was thinking this, I, I think I had this thoughts at some moment in, I think in the scene when the man first intera- interacts with Jill. It's just like long movies and specifically uh, westerns a lot this is the same thing with the good the bad and the ugly too which you should 100 percent watch i'm going to like maybe today okay yeah it's um for real this like i've loved this movie so much yeah it's it just feels literary it feels like you finished mm. a book yeah there's so <laughs> much going on yeah and it's so poetic just it really i think that the archetypal nature of the characters makes it more rewarding than a lot mm. of nuanced stuff that i've seen with you know yeah or just like as not, good at least yeah not to say that there isn't some gray area stuff in this too and and this and that yeah um, i think specifically a lot with jill's character and some with the man but frank is pretty much just so endlessly evil throughout yeah. But it just works so well. And most characters really have one motivation. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't even change really much throughout the movie. Right. And and the way that they all interact is just so... It's it's honestly... Uh, this and Blade Runner were both incredibly rewarding movies, I feel like, when, I, when, when the climaxes happened. Not so much Blade Runner for me, but... I loved the ending to Blade Runner, really, but... Uh, yeah. You know, discussion on that is over, but anyway. Don't blame you. I don't blame um, you. I just didn't like it that much. Um, but yeah, this... Yeah, it was a slow burn, yeah. but it wasn't even a movie where it felt like it was just the destination that made the slow pace work. Yeah. Every single moment was compelling. There wasn't really a moment that I got bored, even though it was long. You should watch... I, th- I think it was you that said you hadn't seen Lawrence of Arabia yet. Yeah, I haven't. You absolutely would love it. It's the same feeling. Cool. It's I'm it's down. The, it's it's like three hours long. It's definitely longer than this. I think it's like three hours and twenty minutes long or something like that. Yeah, and it is incredibly shot. Like great characters, very similar kind of archetypal, but a little I think a little more nuanced. But it's like. Jesus, I love long movies like this. Yeah, I usually like pussy out of long movies. I've been putting off watching The Godfather for so long because it's like three hours. But I just need to suck it up because it's never, (laughs) I've never seen, when I do watch long movies, I've never watched one where I felt, oh, when is this going to end? I felt like that with like two hour movies that were just not good, you know? Yeah. If it's done well, I think my concern is that I'll watch a three hour movie and not like it. And then it'll be three hours (laughs) of your life wasted. Yeah. Right. Right. But 100%. No, I, you know, when when it's like one of these great films, usually it is actually a great film. Yeah. I don't love long movies. I love good long movies. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much. (laughs) This movie really, I think, is is just really kind of puts a spell on you in the fact that when you think about like the, the 
there's it's not there's not even like a huge amount of depth to the characters there's not it's not a hugely expansive story yeah but it is just like it, it, the way that it is told and the way that it unfolds and comes to a climax is so rewarding as an audience member yeah it's fantastic yeah it's a simple concept that they just fleshed out way more than they even had to to yeah. make it good they they fleshed it out but they let it breathe too oh yeah honestly it, oh, it's yeah. it's it's not fluffy at all oh, no, it yeah. all actually it's so funny at at a certain point it almost reminded me of like in that same literary sense of like lord of the rings that you feel like you're like reading a book while you watch the movie mm. there's not too much in common besides just that feeling of it pretty much at all but but the way that it just feels rewarding as you're watching it and it's so long and there's so much going on mm. it's it, it reminded me of that but um, interesting no i was gonna bring this up um about the length of this movie is that um, according to Wikipedia, the original version by the director was 166 minutes, two hours and 46 minutes, which was the version we watched. Okay. Um, this was when it was first released in European cinemas and it was a box office hit. When it was shown in the US, when it was released in the US, it was edited down to two hours and 25 minutes by Paramount and flopped. <laughs> That's fucked. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's bizarre. Because you would think, because from this like studio mindset, it's, oh, long movies aren't going to sell. But then it does sell. But it does sell as long as it's really good. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually going to mention that about um, like being worried about wasting your time with three-hour movies. Probably three-hour movies have a more consistent quality to them because for a studio to produce a script that is like what, uh, 180 pages, it's got to be really fucking good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they're yeah. not going to fucking produce it. I wonder how long this script was. I mean, it must have been really long. But it's just funny because it's so not not too much dialogue. True, but so I, I think, I mean, what you, wa you want to do if you don't have a lot of dialogue is just really put in the descriptions. Yeah. So what I think was also interesting about this is that it says in the opening titles, it said who it was written by and directed by and all that. And then it said based off a story by Sergio Leone, the other Sergio and Dario Argento. Uh -huh. And Dario Argento does nothing like anything that is in this movie. Oh, really? Part. Yeah. You, I've seen a couple of his movies. Interesting. Suspiria being his most famous one. And then uh, he also did one called Deep Red before that. But he's mm. like very... A uh, very colorful, very like set oriented, a lot of like harsh colored, like literally colored lighting. So you would always use gels, just deep mm. red um, light and deep blue and a lot of crazy colors. And I <laughs> dream like, yeah. And I was, I was like, I wonder what Dario Argento did in this movie. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd be really interested to find out because it's such an interesting voice to have that is interesting. along with those. Um, That's cool. But I'd also like to know what they did um, for the coloring, uh, the editing of this movie too, because it's so uh, saturated. But you don't even yeah. notice it until a color is brought into it, really. Right. Because it's so brown. But then you see Frank's eyes, or you see the apple that the guy was eating uh, at the at one of those final scenes in the flashback, and it's so it's so funny how that just breathes so much life into it all of a sudden, yes. even though it's so. It's, just it's so brown light green for the most part yeah yeah i noticed the green too talking about green filters <sighs> uh, <sighs> what's color grading i don't know <sighs> but um yeah no it was great um <laughs> let's move on to um yeah, was... let's hold on because i want to talk i want to talk about henry fonda's hauntingly blue eyes bro look yeah dude i henry fonda holy fuck <laughs> has the most beautiful eyes <laughs> 
I have ever seen. I'm hip. There is just so much. There's just so much in them. There's just so much soul in them. And yes, non-meme, yes. No, not even a joke, dude. Henry Fonda has the most gorgeous eyes I've ever seen. The most hauntingly beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen. He is just the perfect person for this role. Yeah. Because... Of his eyes. Partially because of his eyes, but he was always typecast as the hero. He was such... He was a Western hero. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he he was always typecast as, as a Western hero. Um, And yeah, Sergio Leone offered it to Fonda and... He didn't want it at first because I can't see the reasons here, but I remember like Norm and somebody else talking about it. And they were saying basically like they didn't like kids looked up to him and he didn't want to tarnish tarnish his image. But um, Sergio Leone, he flew to New York to talk to Fonda and then convinced him by saying, picture this. The camera shows a gunman from the waist down pulling his gun and shooting a running child. The camera tilts up to the gunman's face. It's Henry Fonda. <laughs> and that's when he convinced him. Because <laughs> it's so true. Like, it's yeah, such it's... A, a brutal, disgusting moment. And you pan up and you just see Henry Fonda's gorgeous blue eyes looking back at you. Dude, yeah, I heard great. I heard they took the step from black and white film to color just so that they could show Henry Fonda's beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> that's what I heard. They, they actually, um, in the digital remastering of Wizard of Oz, they put his face superimposed over every character. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a much better movie if they did, to be um, honest. But he killed it, dude, because... Oh, yeah. Man, because he just has... I love Henry Fonda, dude. I haven't seen a ton of stuff with him in it. He's the lead yeah, in um, 12 Angry Men, okay. the character in that. Um, but I, I would love to see more. Just He has such like a genuine, comforting air about him, partially and, due yeah. to his gorgeous blue eyes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and having him play this purely evil character adds a whole nother layer to it and Mm. having the heroes be kind of not ugly because they're still like hollywood film stars but uglier than henry fonda and presenting them almost like from the start you almost think they they might be villains as well and they sort of be sort of become the heroes i mean there is like that moral ambiguity um cheyenne's a good guy all the way throughout he's out he's a nice dude from what we see, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he killed and raped a bunch of people. But yeah, well, that's the movie, thing. He's a great guy. That's the thing. Because he basically <laughs> says, you know, I'll, I'll, like, I'm a killer, but I won't kill a child. It's like killing a priest. Well, a Catholic priest. I, yeah, love, that I love that line, too. <laughs> that's a great line. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these like sort of ugly, um, weathered people. And then Henry Fonda, most evil character in the whole thing, has this sort of smirk in those deep blue eyes of the ocean and yeah yeah, and it's like piercing like like you said the saturation of the color it's this like piercing icy stare and it goes back and forth between oh he just kind of seems like a a nice person and then oh wait but he's purely evil too (laughs) he murders kids yeah it just creates having him play that character and his the way he plays it because he's not too over the top either no like he tries so charismatic yeah, it's so even subtle. as he's saying these really fucked up things and doing these really fucked up things. And yeah, he's just, he's incredible in this. I thought everybody yeah. played their parts really well. So well. Yeah. Um, I felt like the only one that was a little over the top for me was Jill. Was a little, I mean, she she it was a type character that she played pretty well, but it felt like she almost leaned too much into the type. It didn't seem like there was much to that performance to me compared to the other ones. I don't really, I I... I 
I think like, I don't think she was bad by any maybe means. doesn't stand out as much, but I that's I think, all I mean. Yeah, she's still. I, I think she still nailed it. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I thought her character was really interesting too. That she's like trying to make this domestic life for herself, and then just gets pulled like she goes all the way out like as far from what she assumes is like evil, which is civilization. Yeah, and then she just gets pulled right back into it. Right, I, I think is great. And I think yeah. her character is really interesting too. I did too. I did as well. Yeah. I, I loved her exchange with Frank where it was like two, they, they were just very honest scoundrels. Yeah. Basically, where he's just gonna rape her. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna regret killing you. And he's like, he says, what does he say? He says, you'd do anything to, to save yourself. And she says, yeah, because it's like, of course. Duh. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I love that. I like that she doesn't try to act all like, oh, no, I really like you. Yeah. I just suddenly came, fell in love with you. It's just like they both know the deal. They both know the I like the that, game. too. Yeah, her character was really cool because um, it really pushed back against those stereotypes you see in older movies as well, where it's this idea of, you know, uh, uh, like women like being corrupted or being something wrong with her using her sexuality in that way or her being a prostitute it was like that you know like sullies somebody or makes them impure it really pushed back against that because it's like no like of course i'm gonna fucking it's like what she says earlier when she thinks that um Cheyenne is going to rape her and she's like, do what you want. I'll just take a bath in boiling water and it'll be just another shitty memory or like yeah. dirty memory or whatever. Yeah, and I great. love that because it's like. Yeah. And I love how Cheyenne comes comes back with that too, where he's like tells the, the story of how his mom was a whore, but like she raised him and his dad was like, obviously wasn't around because yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah, I loved how he said it too. Where he's like, "You remind me of my mother, the biggest whore in the town, and the greatest woman you'll ever meet." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So good. We're kind of oh, jumping I'm, around now, but there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is just so much. I could probably talk about this movie for hours. Yeah. Um, it's just one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Just so good, start to finish. And I was a little. I think especially what um, drives it home of how good this movie was is that I also waited until the last day to watch both movies. And I watched this one second and I watched it at night. Really? And I still fucking loved it. (laughs) That's crazy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But last one, sound design and the music. One thing I want to... I want to tell you before we talk about this. The soundtrack features... I don't know how to pronounce this. Light motifs? L-E-I-T-M-O-T-I-F-S? Light light motifs. Okay. That's... I don't know why. That I, I was in one of my film yeah. classes. Which just means a um, short recurring musical theme mm-hmm. that relate to each of the main characters of the film. Everybody has both like little short, those like light motifs and like full on theme music uh-huh. um, that plays at important moments for the characters. And so it was, it was uh, Leon's desire to have the music available and played during filming. Leone had Morricone compose the score before shooting started and would play the music in the background for the actors on set. That's fucking sick. So cool, right? Yeah, that's a great idea. It just makes so much sense because like their performances and the music work together so well. Yeah. And really, I think with Westerns in particular, the music sets the stage so much and is always just a very iconic part of it. So to really get the actors in that mind frame, it makes so much sense to have the music playing. And the music's so fucking good, too, that they must have just gotten so hyped. Dude, Ennio Morricone, it's so... I would recommend you watch um, Fistful of Dollars. Or no, not, not Fistful of Dollars. I mean, that's also good, but Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And then also watch The Thing, because I think you said you also haven't seen that yet, right? 
Yeah, I haven't. So Ennio Morricone also does the soundtrack for the, the thing. Oh, that's crazy. Which is really funny because it's so different. It, it does not sound anything like uh, what he would make. And it's it's really interesting to see that side of him. I love composers like that. Um, Angelo Badalamenti. He works with David Lynch a lot. He worked on Blue Velvet. He worked on Twin Peaks. Um, a few other projects. And he is very similar in that he can, he has like such a huge mu- musical range. Like mm-hmm. he composes everything and it goes from like singer songwriting, like pop songs to like smooth jazz to really harsh guitars. Like it's yeah. all over the map. Yeah. He just knows what to do for any particular situation, yeah. which is super cool. But anyway, yeah, just incredible. So good. Yeah, I, you already said it, but the moment where his... Um, the man's theme and Frank's theme play simultaneously when they duel is uh, so I, I, I think it's telling that we both picked up on that. Yeah. Like it was just how effective it is in the movie. It was just like, it's noticeable, but it's not even like over the head. It's, it's, it's not like hitting you over the head with it. It's just like, it's just so good that you, yeah. that you have to notice it. And it's so yeah. effective. And, and uh, when you realize like the two melodies like work with each other, yeah. like, <laughs> like yeah. sync into place. Oh yeah. They are different. The parts intersect in a way that it's, you feel like, okay, this is the full song now. Yeah. Yeah. And you've only been hearing, especially the harmonica part that he plays over and over, which is just this really lonely, it's almost like a, um, like a howl or like a a bird call. It's this very like heavy, like wine almost. And it's always like very isolated and, um, lonely. And then it coming into the melody and it's at its full potential is so cool. It's so great. it makes that scene way more impactful. Yeah, there's 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 so much going on in this movie. <laughs> I love the opening scene. There's a few times where they do this, where there's like a specific sound effect in the background. And there's a lot of ambience throughout, which is awesome. But in the beginning, there's the windmill that's turning and it's just like a creak every couple of seconds. And that creak is the only sound you hear for other than the, the the cowboys walking. That's all you hear in the beginning of that movie. It's just the creak of that windmill. And it continues into the duel. Oh, we didn't even mention how the fucking it there's a 12 minute build up to this quick draw that lasts like a second. Yeah. So great. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens so quick that you don't even know what happened at first. Yeah. Like all all the quick draws in this movie were so good. Just the way that they were cut and just the build up. The editing is is incredible in this movie. It's yeah. so tight. Um, there's so much that works. <laughs> yeah. And another one I really, really liked with the soundtrack, um, or not the soundtrack, the sound effects, where they're on the train playing um, like the poker game and the bigwig guy who's like getting sicker and sicker as it goes on um, is like making his way over. You can hear, I think it's, I think it's the engine, but it's some part, mechanical part of the train that sounds like it's wheezing, basically. Mm. And I like how that fits in with that character, basically, like his health declining. There's just this like pained wheezing in yeah. the background of that whole scene. Yeah. And um, oh, one other thing that I forgot to mention with in terms of like scenes or cinematography or just the plot, everything is the um, the guy who basically set the whole plot in motion and had the family murdered, all, all that. Yeah. I love that his journey, his goal is to basically make a railroad until he can reach the ocean. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> He's just got this really sick obsession that he's willing to do anything for just to get out of the desert. Yeah. And um and he's he always he's like looking at the painting and there's a slow zoom into it and you hear the waves. 
and yeah, he I didn't, dies. I didn't, really, I didn't really like the wave sound. I like that. But he dies in a fucking puddle, and then the I waves come that. back in. And yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, it's yeah. so good. And that character, I'm sorry, I'm just no, no, going, go on, but go on. I love that character, like, as time went on, really just a, a terrible person, you know? But you feel he just becomes more and more pitiful as the movie goes on. And I felt yeah. almost bad for him by the end. Like, it really was able to make you empathize with this character yeah. because he's just pathetic and yeah. dying. And, it, and it's like how he's dealing with it is trying to, like, hurt other people and at all costs, like, trying to get what he wants. Yeah. And it's just so... But, like, you know, like pretty quick like maybe half of the movie that like this guy is just fucked and like yeah. he should know that he's fucked but he's still going i really yeah I, that's what i feel really makes this feel poetic this movie is just how much stuff like that there is in this and it makes you think about the broader picture too because i love his dynamic with frank yeah where he has that classic mr monopoly thing yeah where he's like your gun will never do what my money can do but Right. It's funny that in the end he's kind of wrong. Like Oh yeah. He and oh, it's yeah. and it's great because anywhere else in it, even in the US now if he had been 20 years later or something like that is true in civilization but he's at a part of the US and he's at this point where it's not civilized right. yet and right. kind of the law of, of tooth and nail is is what really reigns. Oh yeah. And I thought that was so interesting in that in that what is normally something that's played straight like that, where the gunmen are the ones who get duped by the bigger picture, kind of like Blade Runner, which I think, yeah. uh, again, I think works for Blade Runner. I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah know, for sure. Uh, that's not a dig at Blade Runner. But yeah. it's it's like an inverse of that where it's like, no, you're you can't you, you know, you can't block bullets with money, basically. Yeah. And it was just it was great. And yeah, yeah. I, I also love the fact that he died in the puddle. And I. I, yeah. I, I didn't really like the recurring sound effect because I feel like it kind of drove home the point that was kind of already conveyed by him crawling towards the puddle. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought about that too, but I, I can see what you're saying. I think it worked for me too, just because it was like, I don't know, there's the sound of the ocean is just this really like lonely, um, mm -hmm. like the way I thought about it was the idea that the desert is almost like the ocean and he's sort of just stranded in this big, they're all just stranded in this big abyss. Yeah. Like the waves didn't sound, I don't know, it didn't sound like a like a calming, nice, I don't know, like beach house. It sounded like you were like at the edge of the ocean. The waves were becoming like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so I like that's that's why I like that is I think it it delivered that feeling um, very well for me. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I like at first I was like, is like it's kind of redundant, but then I thought about it and and that was how that was the feeling I got from it. I suppose. Yeah, it really that it, it's less what it's trying to get across and more just that I felt as though it was it was driving home a point that felt like it already was driven home, but it didn't ruin yeah. the scene for me. It, it, it was right. such a great ending to that character. That it's funny that character like doesn't even get too much screen time really, and he's mm. but and he's kind of sets the plot in motion, but then is kind of removed from it for the most part afterwards. Right. But I love just his the fact that he's like again, it's it's not even that complicated of an idea. Like the plot is simple, and, and oh, yeah. it's just told so well. And the fact that he's this crippled guy who's looking down on all these people, and he's in this machine that makes him like go farther and move faster than anybody, right. but he can't move freely. He's stuck. Like he's just always stuck. And there's these, he like, you know, all the cowboys are on their horses. They can go wherever they want. They can do whatever they want. And he's on this track and he moves faster, but he's, yeah, it's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck. It's so fuck. good. <laughs>
<laughs> but anyway, let's wrap up with this sound. Like seriously, we could probably talk about this for hours, yeah, and yeah, I'm sure will yeah. <laughs> in the future. But um, favorite shot, favorite scene. Um, I already talked about a couple of my favorite shots. Okay, I actually have two in mind that I didn't mention. My favorite, like, single shot was well, not my favorite, but one of them. There's so many. Yeah. But one of them that I didn't mention was um, after um, she finds out that her husband is dead and she lays down on the bed and then the camera cuts to above the bed, which is a black veil. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just, and then it slowly zooms in. She's just encased in this basically mourning veil that is the top of the bed. Mm -hmm. Um, Just really clever, like symbolic and um, like emotionally resonant. Mm-hmm. which is awesome um, because it is like sort of being enveloped in this darkness, but also literally like a morning veil. Um, yeah. It works in two ways. Um, and then favorite, technically this is one shot as well. When Frank arrives at the train after Cheyenne has escaped and killed everybody and sees all the bodies and he goes into the train, like goes up onto the platform and it's a tracking shot of Frank while Frank is hidden by the cars, the, the train cars, like he's inside mm-hmm. and it's tracking him. And as it's tracking him in the foreground are all the dead bodies. Mm-hmm. And Frank keeps passing like through the doors of the cars too. And the camera's always where he is. So it's completely tracking him uh-huh. even when he's behind, when he's blocked from view. And that build of everybody's dead yeah. as it's moving down until he sees our, our fat cat man thought that was great really concise but also just looked great and just really executed well too just i love the idea of of a tracking shot when you can't see the person yeah i was also going to um i was going to bring up the one that you brought up first the the veil on the bed i remember watching that and i was like that reminds me of dario argento a little bit like that that really in your face but not ham-fisted kind of symbolism and just like really really understandable um storytelling like yeah. we, we we said this uh, when when we were talking about two thousand one. Um, I think off it was not on the podcast, but just the fact yeah, that off the record, yeah, strictly <laughs> off the books. But it's just that the uh, telling a story simply and effectively is is not easy. Oh, yeah. and it's really and it's that's what makes a movie fantastic. Is that you know we were talking about specifically for the audience back home who doesn't know what, I, what I'm referring to is just that. People feel the need to like overanalyze movies like 2001 where it's like there's so much going on. It just has to have a higher truth than what you'd think. And it's like, no, the reason you got it quickly, even though it's very abstract, is because the movie was so well put together. Right. Like you got it because it gave you the answer, but it didn't spoon feed it to you. Basically. Right, like it's it's better if you get out of your head a lot of the times, yeah. even with more com- really complex movies, like more abstract stuff, yeah. like the ending of 2001. If you just trust your gut feeling, you're going to get it because it's done so well. Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway. And this is the same way for sure. I think favorite shot, I, I think probably would be the reveal of who the harmonica guy is, I think. I, I, yeah. There's just... I there's, mean, we already talked about that, so that's why I didn't mention it, but yeah. that's probably mine too. Yeah. <laughs> and mean, the standoff at the end is my favorite scene, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we already mentioned it, so. Yeah, I, I feel, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of retracing here, but like the 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 audio cue that, that plays, or the, the song, even though it's kind of the song that's really been playing already, it comes back in and and the recurring imagery of um of Frank being used, which of him approaching the camera, finally coming into context and yeah. realizing what it is, is so rewarding. And then yeah. he says that line, which is so well delivered and and it has so much meaning because 
you're like for the for a millisecond you're like brother but then then it cuts and it's like oh fuck <laughs> and, yeah and the shot of the the boots before you see the whole frame and it keeps pulling yeah. out and you keep getting more is is incredible it's yeah. so well so done <laughs> yeah it's uh, yeah goddamn um <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. Incredible. Um, this is not any one specific shot, but I also was really surprised with um, the like the close up on the face is kind of a classic Western thing. Although I don't know how much that's done outside of Sergio Leone because he's kind of the god mm-hmm. of westerns. But I also really liked that this movie not only used it for the classic scene where it's the standoff and they're both you know you get the close ups on their eyes because they're really focusing, right. but it's used a lot with characters like Cheyenne and Jill to kind of show these gentler moments. And mm. I remember specifically when Jill, when the when the harmonica man is leaving and Jill is just looking, it's a really, really long shot of just Jill's face. But the it feels so impactful and kind of dreamlike with the shallow depth of focus and you're looking at yeah. her and it's just this beautiful woman's face kind of looking longingly. But it's so effective because it's yeah. this really gentle moment after just this like tension-ridden climax that really leaves you like honestly on the edge of your seat and then you get this incredibly gentle moment that's a close-up but it doesn't feel claustrophobic and it doesn't feel it feels like a dream and it's so i really enjoyed that and i I found that they did that a couple times yeah something overall that i want to mention because um you saying that made me think of this because it goes to like that huge emotional like really tense climax to like this sort of gentler scene there's like such a rhythm to this movie mm-hmm. in the way that the, the scenes were edited together there's a lot of cuts I, I loved one where frank shoots i forget when he's shooting but he shoots his gun and then it transitions into a train coming through yes smoke. yes yes that was when there's he kills a, he kills the boy yeah and i love that line too where he's like what are we gonna do frank and he's just standing he's like well now that you said my name <laughs> dude and that was a moment that i felt like frank didn't want to do it. And that like, I love that that was the setup for the character too, is he's doing these heinous things, but you have that close up of his fucking gorgeous blue eyes. And, <laughs> and you see like, there's a little bit of pain and regret in there. So good. Yeah. I also like that. I was, I was thinking as they were doing that, I was thinking, how are they going to show him kill this kid? And then the fact that you see it from the kid's perspective as the gun kind of shoots yeah. you and then it cuts to that yeah. train is, and the train is what fucking the whole industry yeah. that uh, that guy's yeah. what killed him you know it's so smart <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah that's the whole movie yeah, yeah that's a good way to to sum it up um yeah all right well what would you give it out of 10 tyler i think i would give it a nine to possibly a nine and a half probably a nine i was gonna say the same thing probably a nine and a half it's i like it a lot really really good shit yeah. Both movies fucking great. I I love that I I'm it's funny cuz they're I think they're kind of actually good for companion pieces because whereas Blade Runner leaves me thinking a lot with like the theme of it all. Yeah. Um this leaves me thinking about it a lot with with some of the themes but also just how enjoyable the movie is and just Yeah. It's like we, we were saying before, I think this was before we started doing the podcast or at least recording it, but we were talking about Event Horizon and I was just like, you know, Sometimes there are great movies like like Moonlight or like um, the Florida Project that where it's just like a really small like you know story of a struggling family or like drug addiction or something like that. Sometimes it's just a fucking bang up like plot, just expansive like shit happens, people die, and it's just like it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. it's just like you need. It's just a good plot. It's just a good yeah. plot, and it's a great story. I was thinking about this. It really is both a 
sort of like the most movie movie, but also almost an art film at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's like the most classic Hollywood just movie movie, Mm -hmm. but then also is just incredible from like a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah, it's so honestly, I think every movie that was made in the 60s is a masterpiece. I think (laughs) that's what I'm finding out the more I watch. Yeah. They say it's the golden age and yeah. Yeah. You know, something about the times, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Great week. Nate, what do you want to watch next week? All right, guys. So thanks for asking, Tyler. Um, (laughs) No problem. The movie I have prepared in advance and not just now is um, the original Mad Max, which is on Netflix. Nice. What about you, Tyler? What movie have you picked? Uh, Thanks for asking. I thought it would be nice, considering uh, I heard this movie is very influential. Yeah, I don't care. Just tell me what the movie is. Very influential movie. Um... A Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. I haven't seen it. I've been told yeah. I should, and I'm down to watch it. Just doing what you're told. Sort of like Pretty much. Blade Runner, right? No. Are like, we, if Blade uh, Runner do was we super have cool, free will? I don't do know we? You. Are I, we all just machines? I took a Facebook test, told me I do have free will. <laughs> I like how you can make any theme sound absolutely stupid if you just say it like I just said it. You can make anything sound stupid if you just boil it down and say it in a dumb voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What does it mean to be human? Is life real? <laughs> what makes a life real? And with that, anyway. <laughs> we'll we'll leave you with we'll that. We'll leave you off. Hey, thanks for listening to Talkie Talk, guys. We'll leave you thinking. If you aren't subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to it, please subscribe. Please rate um, whatever, stars or whatever. I've heard that you need that. Um, you can check out our social medias. It's all at Talkie Talk Cast. We have Facebook, Twitter. No, I haven't started the Twitter. We have Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can email us at TalkieTalkCast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. Kisses. Bye.